It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Peter Navarro will be joining us shortly, assistant to the president. Uh, he has got uh, some evidence, he says, uh, is indisputable about how this election was corrupted and taken. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party, more importantly, born in Georgia, understands Georgia and understands what the fourth largest military community really feels about this runoff election, which is as big as anything you'll ever experience in terms of a Senate runoff. I knew it from the, the day it was clear that the Republicans had a great chance of holding the Senate, shocking just about everybody when Joni Ernst and Susan Collins uh, won their races and Alabama flipped from Democrat to Republican. Now all they'd have to do is win one of two. What are the chances of that? So much to talk about. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is a management issue of the hospitals. They have to move the vaccine and they have to move the vaccine faster. Yeah, I guess management issue. Not my responsibility. We've got your vaccine. Please use it. That's the message from the president to the governors. What is it going to take to put the shots into arms of Americans and save lives? Enough finger pointing. Let's do some fixing. And as usual, New York's governor, as you just heard, blasting everybody but himself for the painfully slow rollout. Number two. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. Uh, President Trump's final presidential push. Who's in and who is out? The election Hail Mary about to be tossed Wednesday and the trouble the fame and the trouble this famed Saturday phone call is bringing to the party and the president. Number one. I want you to know, Georgia, I'm ready. I'm ready to be your next United States senator. The eyes of the nation are on Georgia right now. If we have a strong Republican turnout, we will win again. Are you ready to show America that Georgia's a red state? Wow. The Georgia runoff, standoff. Biden and Trump contrasting messages, crowds and goals, of course. The future of the country hangs in the balance. I'm not kidding. We have to stay, We lay out the state of the race, which was laid out beautifully by the New York Post editorial. Uh, at stake, the southern border could be inundated because there'll be nothing to stop the takedown of the wall. Then no, no longer enforcement of the illegals coming across the border, those seeking refuge will literally almost double the size of the country and empty out Central and South America. The regulations will increase almost immediately. Why? To make business harder, all in name of the environment. Job-killing Green New Deal. Get rid of cows, planes, and cars. Why not? Let's get started. The president basically, uh, the president-elect basically said he wants to do it. Democrats want to do it. Republicans don't. Court packing. Basically confirmed by Senator Dick Durbin, who will be chairman of the committee, uh, Judiciary Committee, and be all for that. Says it's to compensate for illegally putting Supreme Court justices on the bench. We know that's not true, but that's telling you. Socialized medicine, member, single payer. We're heading that direction. You know, AOC and company now have some power over the 
uh, speaker who's got no spine. And the United Democratic uh, Front will impose identity politics on the nation. You're already seeing it. No more gender-specific words. Now we're going to start having fines for using people, I don't know, women, uh, men playing women's sports and things like that. Um, and all the cancel culture stuff that we have learned to, um, I guess, despise. So what happened last night? I thought the president was great. I thought his uh, speech was fantastic. Hour and a half, got a lot of messages, a lot of accomplishment. He's got a lot of grievance about how the election was run. And again, if he could just show it in more detail, if his legal team could produce the affidavits, if they could show that the Republican secretary of state and governor are wrong, then game on. But his most staunchest opponents can't see the proof that he claim is there. Here's the president last night. Cut three. Each of you is going to vote in one of the most important runoff elections of the history of our country. Frankly, forget about runoff. One of the most important elections, really. It's really not runoff. It's elections because uh, it's a biggie. Our country is depending on you. The stakes of this election could not be higher. You know, but Purdue, uh, according to some local reports there, seems to be running pretty strong. And if he gets a million plus, they say it's great for him. I mean, he won by 88,000. If you get rid of the libertarian, he won by about 95 to 100,000 votes over John Ossoff, who is very composed on the stump. He understands broadcasting, but he's a documentarian who doesn't have any real accomplishments. You have uh, David Perdue, an accomplished business person, understands politics. You know his cousin Sonny Perdue. He understands how to produce. For six years, I think he's been a very strong senator. And we'll see if Ossoff can do to Perdue, which he was not able to do in his congressional runoff. And that's when a House seat. Couldn't do that. But can he win a Senate seat? If the Democratic uh, ground game is actually stronger than the Republicans, maybe he can close the gap. I don't see it. I don't believe any of the polls. You shouldn't either. Cut four. Yes, cut four. Together, we're going to defeat the Democratic extremists and deliver a thundering victory to David Perdue. And where's David? David, David. He, we love our David. I know David so well. He's respected and loved by everyone. And someone that has really been a star in Washington, Kelly Leffler. Where is our Kelly? What a job you've done. Thank you. Yeah, she was actually pretty good last night. The reason why Purdue was not there, he has to quarantine. One of his staffers was in contact with somebody who tested positive. He was in contact with that staffer, so he's just taking precautions. He's fine. But he could not campaign the last three days. If it's a close election, you wonder if that would be the ticket. But it's just one of these things that's happening in the middle of this pandemic where thousands die a day. So Joe Biden, he goes out in front of maybe 30 cars some people standing in the distance, and he acts like he's never been on microphone before. And this is a guy with 80 million votes? Cut nine. This administration has gotten off to a god-awful start. The president spends more time whining and complaining than doing something about the problem. I don't know why he still wants the job. He doesn't want to do the work. I don't even know what that means. Uh, god-awful start. Okay, good. But here's what his message is, and this works, and it has a lot to do with President Trump. He came out and said, I want everybody to get $2,000, not $600. But his Treasury Secretary negotiated $600. And now the Democrats go, I want to give $2,000. So Joe Biden has a point here. Cut 10. If you send John and the Reverend to Washington, 
Those $2,000 checks will go out the door, restoring hope and decency and honor for so many people who are struggling right now. And if you send Senators Perdue and Loeffler back to Washington, those checks will never get there. It's just that simple. It's true. Uh, the one thing I would say is he actually could say that. You elect me, I'll give you 2000 bucks because if the Senate belongs to the Democrats and the House, there are some Demo- Republicans like Senator Hawley that want the $2,000. So he actually is in a spot where he could promise you, I'll give you 2000 instead of 600 which means a lot of people are going to get the check that don't need it. Which is the problem. Mitch McConnell should be talking about targeting the people that need it. So what does it look like on the ground? So far, we know about the money. We know about Stacey Abrams' get-out-the-vote campaign. We know, about the, um, we know about the focus on the inner city. Karl Rove, pretty confident, though. He's got the numbers. And he also knows what we should be looking for. Cut 17. So altogether, the early vote is about 75% of what it was just over three million uh, cast in the uh, in the runoff. Republican campaigns are aiming for it. They, they they believe that the turnout will be between 1.1 and 1.3 million on election day. Uh, it, on in November, uh, David Perdue got 62 percent of the two-party vote uh, on election day, and Republicans are pretty confident that they will get that, or probably more likely a point or two better tomorrow. And if they do. Uh, they'll win as long as the turnout is what is above a million. The bigger the turnout tomorrow, the better off the Republicans are. Well, we'll see. And we'll look for that today, meaning tomorrow's today. He did that yesterday. Carl Rove will be joining us later on in this show. So 16 days until Joe Biden gets inaugurated. Tomorrow is the day they gavel in the Electoral College, usually a formality, something a clerk can do. But with Ted Cruz assembling at least a dozen senators, Republicans, they are going to protest this election. As for a 10-day pause to investigate six separate battleground states where they feel it's disputed. But they have not proven it in the courts. They have not—Ted Cruz does not have the proof. They could not get it to the Supreme Court where Ted Cruz was ready to argue. Uh, reportedly, according to Fox, Ted was on the phone with Senator Kennedy of Louisiana— And he said, you know, I'd like to do something like this. Senator Kennedy said, yeah, go ahead. Try to assemble it. You can count me in. And he did. He got a dozen senators out there who want to challenge this verdict. They also have over 100 House members, GOP side, expected to object to at least one of the state's electors. They're going to break it up and get together. Devin Nunes just told me on television they go into the basement now of the Capitol, about 100 of them. They're going to see if they can get on the same page. Right now, they're loosely just protesting. The pressure is going to be on... Mike Pence, he's going to have to quiet down and overrule Republicans who are trying to say you should still be the vice president. Surreal stuff, right? But they're going to be a protest. We're going to televise it. We're going to carry it here. It's probably going to be happening tomorrow as we speak. Meanwhile, in the streets, the president's going to be speaking at a rally. Uh, You know, don't steal the vote. And he's going to go out there and he's asked all his people to come to Washington. The mayor's already said, everyone stay off the streets. I'm calling in the National Guard. So you're going to have fireworks on the inside, fireworks on the outside. For more on that, our next guest is queuing up Peter Navarro, assistant to the president in trade and manufacturing. He also has been looking at this election. Uh, we have that. Then uh, Alan West. This hour, I'll we'll finish up with you. I see you up there, one 408 7669 I haven't even gotten to the vaccines yet. And the arrogance of this governor of New York. 
and the incompetence of the one in California. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Again, this is all easily, provably false. Yet the president persists. And and by doing so, undermines Georgians' faith in the election system, especially Republican Georgians in this case, which is important because we have a big election coming up tomorrow, and everybody deserves to have their vote counted if they want it to be. Uh, That is... Gabriel Sterling, a Republican, the voting systems implementation manager in Georgia, and he went down about an hour long uh, negating every one of the president's contentions on that hour phone call and what his people have said about what went wrong in the Georgia election with the president lost by about 11,000 votes. Peter Navarro has been doing a lot of work on this election. He knows the president got about 75 million votes, but Joe Biden got 81 million. Peter, you're an assistant to the president, but acting on your own, what have you discovered about this election? 
Hey, Brian, uh, honored to be with you. Uh, I'm, you're breaking news here today because I'm uh, going to release the second volume of the Navarro Report. The first one, Immaculate Deception, illustrated beyond any reasonable doubt that the election was stolen. Uh, what we saw in the Immaculate Deception was across six battleground states, Brian, Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. There were six dimensions of election irregularities, mounds of evidence to prove this, fraud, ballot mishandling, process files, you name it, right? And here's the thing, Brian, at midnight on Election Day, it looked like Donald Trump was, was going to win in a walk with, with a landslide. And, and what happened after that was this immaculate deception. And now what we're sitting with, Brian, is these very narrow alleged Biden victory margins. So a lot of people ask me uh, after I published Immaculate Deception, it's like, well, how exactly did the Democrats do it? So the new report out today on your show, Art of the Steel. And what I did was I looked over the last four years. This thing began, Brian, almost from the minute that Donald Trump got elected in 2016. Here's the big grand strategy. I call it the Democrat Party grand stuff-the-ballot box strategy. What they did was focus on two prongs of attack. One was to dramatically increase the absentee and mail-in ballots, specifically in the battleground states. And at the same time, they wanted to dramatically decrease the level of ballot verification. Essentially, they took the cops, the election cops, off the beat. And the practical effect of that was to flood the zone in the battleground states with illegal ballots, tip the election to Biden. Now, what the, what the, what the art of the steel goes through very carefully in granular detail is how they executed that grand strategy. The Democrat Party with political operatives like Mark Zuckerberg, George Soros, a guy named Mark Elias, who was with the Hillary Clinton campaign. And what they did was, was use, in part, legal means like changing the laws, changing the rules, getting favorable court rulings, going in effectively privatizing the election system through Zuckerberg and Soros money. Uh, but they also, at times, bent and outright broke the rules, right? And so when they went to dramatically increase the absentee mail-in ballots, some of the things they did – through legislation and rule changes, was just to relax the mail-in and absentee ballot rules. They, they went to universal mailing of absentee and mail-in ballots. They sent them to everybody. And then uh, some states went to universal mailing of the applications for the absentee and mail-in ballots. Uh, drop boxes. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> no, no, but I see, see, Peter, I know all that. And we also know the yeah. president was upset about it from the day it was announced. The pandemic yeah. made it possible. But why didn't it work in Florida and Ohio? They didn't focus on Florida and Ohio. They focused. This is what's so interesting, Brian. If you look at, for example, uh, Mark Elias, he, he's the guy who uh, is alleged to be part of the, the conduit for the GPS, uh, the Fusion GPS money into the whole Russia hoax thing. He actually intervened in, in court cases across those six battleground states. Brian, it was no secret that this was not a national election. This was, just, this was essentially a set of about six or seven state elections focused on the ones I told you. It, it's like Arizona, right, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And by the way, Georgia is a is a cesspool 
an absolute but, we're, but, but Peter, in charts, your report that's released now, yeah, which I know with yeah. your Ivy League background, it's got to be detailed. You don't just make stuff up. What do, what, what do you show that Rudy couldn't? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Oh, well, I don't know about what what Rudy Giuliani could or could not show. What I show beyond a shadow of doubt is that there was a conscious strategy to tip this election in favor of Biden uh, using some sometimes uh, legal means, but at times clear bending and breaking the rules. Here's the thing: if you if you use legal means to essentially promote an illegal end, which was a flood of absentee and mail-in ballots uh, that that if they were checked <laughs> would be illegal. But if you take away the cops off the street, I think the analogy here is like defunding the police. Essentially, they, they did kind of the, 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 the election version of, of defunding the cops on the election beat. Uh, and, 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 and Peter, I'm up against a break. Oh, where where do we get the report? Uh, at uh, NavarroReport.com, and I'll put it out on my, uh, my Twitter, uh, Real P. Navarro, Brian. My Twitter account, Real P. Navarro. That'll it. be up within the hour. All right, uh, Peter, we'll stay on this. We look forward to seeing it. Of course, everything amps up tomorrow. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. By electing John and a reverend, you can break the gridlock that has gripped Washington and this nation. With their votes in the Senate, we'll be able to make the progress we need to make on jobs, on health care, on justice, on the environment, on so many important things. By electing John and a reverend, you'll be voting to get the states the resources they need to get the vaccines distributed. That's what happens when you have to talk to windshields. Uh, You scream the whole time. How did that guy get 81 million votes? That is Joe Biden on the stump for 15 minutes. He got a a small crowd. Can you imagine being a president-elect where you got, you were were the first to win uh, Georgia since 1992 or 96, and you go back to that state to continue the momentum for two Democratic candidates and turn the tide of the power structure in Washington, and you get 20 to 30 cars and some people standing in the backdrop. While the President of the United States had people coming from Michigan in order to see him in Georgia, and he had thousands last night. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us, chairman of the Republican Party, no stranger to Georgia. He grew up there. Uh, Colonel, when you hear Joe Biden, how did that guy get 80 million votes? 
<laughs> Brian, good morning and happy new year. I'm still laughing at you saying that he was talking to windshields. That 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 without a doubt is the the line of the day. Uh, I don't know how he got those votes, but I can tell you that when you look at the voting irregularities and some of the issues that you saw, uh, it is evident how he got some of those votes. It it is registration lists that had not been uh, scrubbed. So you had folks that had, you know, deceased. You had uh, votes coming in from empty lots. You had votes coming in from RV locations. But you Uh, you know, by the way, Colonel, I I don't have proof of that, and the Georgian officials swear what you just said is not true. We heard that on the call. We saw that press conference yesterday. And if you're you're a voter, a supporter, or a detractor of Trump, you have to sit there and shake and scratch your head like, who do I believe? Well, I mean, what I just said was was true in Nevada. It was true in Michigan. And I will tell you that the most disconcerting thing for me out of the state of Georgia was that the consent decree that was signed by the secretary of state there that said you did not have to have those signature verifications on those uh, universal mail-in ballots that came in. Now, that's fact. So there are some uh, issues that we have with this election cycle. They need to be resolved, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. But uh, when you think about this, agenda that Joe Biden is talking about, uh, it's an agenda that puts China first, not America first. It's an agenda that does not put the American worker first. It's an agenda that does not put our oil and gas industry out here in Texas first, which has made America energy independent. It's, it's just an agenda that's going to fail, and it's going to take us back to where we were in eight years of the uh, Barack Obama Joe Biden administration, where we had strategic uh, patience. We had leading from behind. We had a foreign policy and national security policy that uh, enabled the rise of ISIS. So I don't understand what Joe Biden is talking about. I don't understand why anyone would support him and definitely John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. So when people say the momentum's with the Democrats on the ground, is that what your family tells you, your friends? Is that what you found out when you were there? I know you want Republicans to win, but, but, but give me an idea of what's happening. I'll give you the idea of what's happening. It is the Atlanta metropolitan area against the rest of the state of Georgia. That's what comes down. And when I say the Atlanta metropolitan area, it's not just the city in Fulton County. It's DeKalb County. It's Gwinnett County, Cobb County. Uh, it's Clayton County to the south. And it even kind of extends over to Athens, Georgia, where you have the University of Georgia. But what you saw last night was the president was up in uh, Dalton, Georgia, which is uh, up in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, North Georgia. That's a different uh, atmosphere. That's a different type of Georgia voter than what you see in the the metropolitan area where you have had an incredible influx of people that have come down from New York and New Jersey. You know, I grew up uh, with this understanding. There's a difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee. A Yankee comes down south and they visit, but a damn Yankee stays. And so I think that that's what you have seen happen in uh, in the Atlanta metropolitan area. A lot of people have moved there. I I got it. Economic opportunities, jobs opportunities, you know, the Hollywood, uh, I mean, not the Hollywood, but the movie production studios, but they have turned and changed the political atmosphere. So if the rest of Georgia comes out, uh, it's all about the turnout, as opposed to the Atlanta metropolitan area, you'll see uh, Kelly Leffler and uh, David Perdue uh, be successful. And, and we've had this conversation before, but I, I want to have it again. It frustrates me that people say, well, urban areas are going to go to Democrats. That's a given. And because Warnock is black, he's going to get the black vote. And you're obviously a conservative and black, and you're not going to get the urban vote. It's a generalization. Do you believe Mm -hmm. 
that the Republicans have a strategy to have success in urban communities? Well, uh, nationally, I think they're getting there. Uh, I think one of the successes that we had here in Texas is that we did go into, you know, some of those urban areas, especially in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, we saw incredible success down there. Uh, when I look at someone like Raphael Warnock, who is the senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, and that's in the neighborhood I grew up in, there are many blacks across the state of Georgia that don't see him as a pastor that stands up on biblical principles. They see him as a social justice warrior type of pastor or a black liberation theology type of pastor. And when you look at some of the things he said in the, in the past, uh, you know, attacking our police officers, saying you can't serve God and serve in the military, I don't think he's going to get as much support as he would think from the black community, uh, especially like, again, when I say you get outside of the Atlanta metropolitan area, but even inside there, there are going to be some folks that are going to say on the polls, are going to come out and say it, but they're not going to support him because I think they don't agree with him and, and some of the stances that he has taken. The other big story in America is the vaccine, which is getting shipped out, but it's not getting shot in, shot into arms at a rate. I'm, I'm willing to say I, I've never done anything like this, never seen it. Evidently, we did six million shots in six weeks in in the 1950s, in the late 1940s, rather, in the middle of uh, at the end of World War II. But suddenly we're having problems with it in New York, especially. We got 900,000 vaccines. We've already we've only used 300,000. And here's what Governor Cuomo said about the problem. Cut 35. We need those public officials. Here they are. Good looking. All of them. Handsome. Smiling. Uh, I need them to take personal responsibility for their hospitals. Uh, This is a management issue of the hospitals. They have to move the vaccine, and they have to move the vaccine faster. He is then threatening to fine them uh, $100,000 if they don't move quicker, while taking zero responsibility in the military. What would they say about leadership like this? Well, that is not leadership, and in the military, he would be relieved of command, especially when you go back and you look at how he failed in the handling of the COVID issue, and he was responsible for the incredible spread through the uh, senior population there in that state. So it's very simple. You sit down and you look at what's the prioritization, what is the most endangered demographic, and how do we get it to that most endangered demographic, and that's our seniors. So we look at all, all those senior living facilities and things of that nature, and we get it out to them. Now, then after that, what's the most important demographic do we have to get it to? Is it the healthcare workers that are there in the hospitals on the front lines? And I'm not talking about the uh, the administrator that is there. I'm talking about a person that is, you know, dealing with the patients. And so I think that, you know, in these states, you need to have some type of prioritization list. And that's what they're doing down in Florida with Governor Ron DeSantis. He is going and making sure that the seniors there in Florida are the ones that are at the top of the list. You know, not, not you know, members of the House and Senate. I mean, I see Kamala Harris and everyone getting a shot. They're not the ones that are important. These shots should be going to the most endangered demographic, which we know from the COVID statistics of those age 70 and above. Here is more what Cuomo said. Cut 36. Any provider who does not use the vaccine could be fined up to $100,000. Going forward, they have to use the allocation within seven days. Otherwise, they can be 
they can be removed from future distribution. As you saw, we have almost 200 hospitals. If one hospital isn't performing, we can use other hospitals. Okay, what about the people in those hospitals, number one? Number two, that is so consistent. He also is going to find nursing homes who aren't exactly uh, they're not exactly the, the elite Hyatt institutions overflowing with funds yeah. for not shooting everybody right away or not having the consent forms done. So this way, this retribution form of enforcement on a pandemic that is not our fault. You're not dealing with Rikers Island prisoners. What about this mindset that he has, taking liquor licenses, shutting down, shutting down people that are critical, ignoring those uh, who ask him questions about, for example, why the 7,400 lost their lives in nursing homes? But, see, that is the progressive socialist left's mentality. It is a punitive mentality. It's not about solving the problem. It is about punishing you uh, and, and using those means of coercion and intimidation as behavior modification. It's just the same thing as you saw in the Patient Protection Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, with the, uh, the fines or taxes that you would get uh, if you did not go out and get the type of health insurance or get health insurance, period. And so what do you see happening now? What we will do is we will put fines on you. We will, we will punish you. We will tax you. We will do everything uh, you know, possible instead of trying to sit down and figure out how do we resolve the problem and the issue and coming out with a plan, which is something that the governor should have done with his state health and human services uh, agency and director. So uh, where the origin of this virus has the, the whole world uh, uncurious, not me, not you, uh, not this channel. It doesn't matter that it crammed from Wuhan or China. We have to deal with it. And look how great China did with it. We know they lied about their numbers. We know Russia's lying about their numbers. Uh, we also know that we haven't gotten to the bottom of it. The WHO is just now starting an investigation. Now experts are speculating uh, pretty regularly that this thing may have started in a lab, let alone intentional, started in a lab. Steve Mosher said this months ago, and now the New York mm-hmm. Magazine and others are writing about it because— there's only a very few places this could have happened, and a wet market from a bat is not likely. But from a bat in a in a uh, this form of virus is. Here's what Steve Mosher said. Cut forty. Well, I think the evidence is obvious to anybody who who looks at it. We have not in in the past year found a natural analog uh, to the China virus. That is, we haven't found a coronavirus in a bat or a pangolin or anything that looks at all like the China virus. It looks like a lab creation. We also, of course, now have the the testimony of the, the, the very courageous whistleblower, Dr. Yen Li Meng. I understand that we have another whistleblower who's escaped from China providing further confirmation. That hasn't been made public yet. But uh, all roads lead to the Wuhan laboratory. And, and why didn't we hear about this earlier? Because uh, the people who are funding the lab, and you mentioned a lot of money going to that lab from the United States, were the people who wrote the denial in The Lancet last spring. How important is it to get that answer? It's very important to get that answer. And the thing that also that we must come to understand is that the uh, Chinese People's Liberation Army, their bioweapons facility, laboratory, is also in Wuhan. And so, you know, we have to come and look at the facts that this was probably intentional. This was probably purposeful. This was developed. And a lot of people aren't talking about what happened a year ago in this month with the Harvard professor that was caught and arrested. And, of course, the two Chinese students who we came to find out were actually Chinese PLA 
uh, you know, members, uh, soldiers, and, and they had vials. And one of them was trying to fly back out of uh, Boston, back to China with those vials. So we've got to face the fact that China is our number one geopolitical foe and all the pressure that President Trump put on China. And the next thing you know, we get this virus that is unleashed upon the world and especially upon the United States of America. Colonel, thanks so much. Hopefully Georgia produces two Republican victories or at least one and the world will be saved. Thanks, Colonel. Absolutely. God right. bless you and take care. Happy All New right. Year, Brian. You too. one 408 7669 Exciting runoff election. We need a million point, 1.3 million to basically assure Republican victory. Will we get it? We're going to take a look at it. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. On January 1st, I've told myself and anyone that would listen that this is it. This is the year. I'm going on a diet. I'm going to lose a load of weight. I'm fed up with the way I look. I'm fed up with being unhealthy. And this is it. This is the year I'm doing it. And because of that, I've, over Christmas... (laughs) eaten everything that's in the fridge because in my head in January I'm starting this diet and it'll be a success and as you can see well it hasn't so so that was him being serious on his show have you seen this I did see it yes no it's James Corden it was um a video on YouTube right and he's sort of teaming up with Weight Watchers of which he said he reached out to Weight Watchers so it wasn't on the show at all and he decided it's going to be a year of health Time to shed some pounds and be healthy. But first, uh, eat as much as possible. Be over Christmas, absolutely. Clear the fridge. Right. And and by the way, I did see a story, and I only read the headline, that he is really misses the U.K. and is going back. I mean, don't go back now. Everything's locked down. But <laughs> yeah, he does not want to resign. I did not see that. I will look for that, though. Yeah, uh, kind of interesting. I, I tell you, the guy that's going to suffer is Stephen Colbert because unless he's going to beat up on Trump, the world does not need another news show. Mm-hmm. So if you're not going to beat up on Trump, you know you know you're not going to beat up on Biden. I agree, and it sort of goes back to that SNL PSA that we played a few months ago. At this point, but everyone's like, "What are we going to talk about if Trump doesn't win? Yeah, what, what's he going to talk about? Yeah, and that's the only you know that that catapulted him from I think we're going to cancel to number one, and Jimmy Fallon never recovered. So let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. I'd like you to open up your hands and open up your heart to those who are still suffering because of COVID-19. People who are suffering through no fault of their own. We're trying to build a gentler, kinder society. And if we all pitch in just a little bit, we're going to get there. Alex Trebek delivering a powerful message in his last bro- series of broadcasts that are airing on Jeopardy beginning last night. Uh, you recall about a month ago, he talked about trying to be kind. He wants everyone to be kind to everybody in his final thoughts. Pretty amazing that he's doing this uh, from basically the grave. No, exactly. And right? they were going to air this the week of Christmas, and they decided to air it now so more people could see it. Um, and yeah, right, it's a little... It's that much more emotional watching it, knowing that he's no longer with us. But you have to wonder, did he know these were going to be his last shows when he was taping them? 
uh, understood, but he knew he had basically he knew he had a death sentence when he had pancreatic cancer, right? He did, and um, in an interview his, his his executive producer has done, he said you could tell he was in a lot of pain that last week. Next, Kelly Ripa admits she used to be a sugar addict with a candy drawer. It was her vice. For years, I had a candy drawer at home. I kept fully stocked. I know that sugar isn't good for you, but I figured that everybody needed to have some kind of vice, right? Well, I didn't really feel, fully appreciate how addictive sugar truly is. She still looks great aging well. She does. So do you share this vice? Because you do share other vices with her. Uh, oh, well, yeah. The chewing. We, we have the chewing thing. Yes. Does she discuss it? we got to start watching that show. Because I want to know if she discusses and we can maybe form a foundation together. So can I watch that show instead of producing yours? Yes, if you don't mind. <laughs> you can watch right now. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, where we're all hoping that this governor gets stop flaming people and starts giving people vaccines like they do in California. They blame people and they don't give people vaccines. And what do we have in common? Uh, We are really good at spreading the virus, including the second strain, which we now found in Saratoga Springs, which we understand is in California, too. But nobody around that we know of went to the U.K., so things are a little crazy. Uh, we have so much to talk about. Call Rove is queued up for us. There's very few people we could talk to in the world who know more about what's happening in Georgia. And Sonny Perdue will be with us at the bottom of the hour. What he did after Hurricane Michael with his uh, cousin, uh, who's up to get six more years in the Senate, is the reason why many people are confident that uh, Senator Perdue is going to get six more years. And then we'll do a simulcast with Barney and Company at about 45 after. We'll go on FBN. And you know you can see us anytime on Fox Nation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is a management issue of the hospitals. They have to move the vaccine, and they have to move the vaccine faster. Uh, We've got your vaccine, so please use it. That's the message from the president to the governors, like the one you just heard. What's going to take to put the shots in the arms of Americans and save lives? Enough finger pointing. Let's do some fixing. And as usual, New York's governor is blasting everybody and blaming everybody but himself for the bad rollout. Number two. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. (laughs) Uh, President Trump's final presidential push. Who's in and who is out? The election Hail Mary about to be tossed Wednesday. And the trouble the famed Saturday phone call is bringing to the party and the president. Number one. I want you to know, Georgia, I'm ready. I'm ready to be your next United States senator. The eyes of the nation are on Georgia right now. If we have a strong Republican turnout, we will win again. Are you ready to show America that Georgia's a red state? 
Georgia's runoff standoff. Biden and Trump contrasting messages, crowds and goals. The future of the country hangs in the balance. And I'm not kidding. We'll lay out the state of the race and the stakes on Election Day. And that's what we're looking at, the runoff Election Day. With me right now is a guy fighting the good fight uh, for Republicans using his knowledge and his ability to accumulate funds to campaign effectively. Carl Rove. Carl, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Carl, do you like the place you're in right now uh, for Senator Leffler and Senator Perdue? Well, I'd rather not have a runoff. So <laughs> the answer is no, but we're in a runoff. And uh, I feel cautiously optimistic because the Republicans have built a gigantic ground game uh, aimed for this day. They understood that, that there'd be a reticence on the part of Georgia Republicans to vote by a mail or maybe even to show up early. Uh, on election day, the Democrats won the mail-in ballot, roughly, you know, just under a million mail-in ballots. They 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 won them handily. The Republicans sort of uh, narrowed the margin and narrowly took the in-person uh, early voting, and then whacked them, whacked the Democrats badly on election day. Uh, David Perdue got 62 percent of the two-party vote on uh, on uh, November 3rd. He ran 88,000 votes ahead of John Ossoff, and the combined vote of all the Republican candidates in the 21-person jungle primary were about 50,000 votes more than the combined Democratic vote in the, in the jungle primary. So I feel good about it, but, uh, you know, they've got a machine and uh, that, that gets out people, uh, particularly uh, via mail, and so we've got to have a big turnout here on Election Day, and we've got to equal – I think we will equal what Purdue got. In fact, I think we're going to get a point or two more because – uh, I think, you know, the, the, there was a libertarian candidate. I don't think the libertarians are going to turn out and vote for uh, a, couple, a pair of socialists. So uh, I, I think uh, the, the Republicans are revved up and, and are coming out today. All right. Uh, I know you were worried about the president's message. I know the message that would have been helpful, and you were worried about him not giving that message. Here's a little of what the president said. Cut seven. The damage they do will be permanent and will be irreversible. Can't let it happen. Nothing and no one will be able to stop them. The Senate seats are truly the last line of defense. Now, I must preface that by saying because they'll say, he just conceded. No, no, I don't think so. 90 minutes, President totally comfortable in front of a packed, emotional, uh, emotionally charged audience. Did you think the president accomplished the goals for both senators? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, <clears throat> that was a great passage you played. What was most important was that when he came out and took the stage, that's the message he immediately jumped into. Because, look, a lot of people, you know, will watch until the, ter- till, till the tail end. But a lot of people will watch the first, you know, 10 or 15 minutes of, a, of something like this and then, you know, wander off to do something else. And so it was there was no there, there's no way that any reasonable news organization in the state of Georgia could have walked away without having its lead be the message that you just played, because that's what the president emphasized at the beginning and returned to time and time again. So, no, I thought, I thought it was that, that it was good. Now, remember, doesn't take place in a vacuum. And the telephone call this weekend did not help with the suburban swing voters. In fact, I saw read with interest this morning that a former Republican state representative who was thinking about voting for at least one of the Republican Senate candidates decided after hearing the, the president's uh, listening to the president's telephone call, uh, he cast his ballot for both Democrats. And there's going to be some of that among soft Republicans in, in the Atlanta suburbs. But I think that, that the, the president's appearance generated a lot more upside than downside. So, look, uh, obviously the call is unorthodox, but everything the president does is unorthodox, good and bad. 
But that sounded, that call, sounded like a conversation that Carl Rove would have with him in the Oval Office right now. If you walked in there and said, hey, Mr. President, I think you lost Georgia, he'd go, Carl, there's no way I lost Georgia. But he would say almost the same exact things. So I kind of laugh at people. They are continuing to be befuddled or confused by the president. That is the way he is. Well, it is, but it, but I, I still think the, it, that that's the kind of call you leave up to your lawyers and your chief of staff because the purpose uh, of the call if you, it, it was was to say, can we sit down and talk about finding areas of agreement? And we have some uh, concerns about the election, but we can't validate our our information unless we have access to information that you have. So, and since that involves privacy issues, that you got to have the lawyers do it. What what it said to me though, and I I hate to, to you know bring this up, but the president being given bad information. Somebody has sold him on the idea that, that as he told the Secretary of State, that 50,000 people walked into the polling places on Election Day and were told they could not vote because somebody had already cast a ballot in their name. Now, I don't know where he got that information, but think about this. There were 977,000 people who voted on Election Day, November 3rd. In person on Election Day. That means that one out of every 20 people who walked into the polling places, according to the information given to the president, was told you can't vote because your, your ballot has already been cast in your name. That If that were true, we would have heard about it. I mean, we would have had angry people on Election Day saying, my name has been used to cast a ballot. I'm here to vote in person. I mean, one out of every 20 voters who walked into a polling place in Georgia supposedly was told that and was turned away. We would have a lot of angry people who would be angry on the day of the event, and the press would be all over this. And so I I don't know where this stuff comes from, but the president was sitting there saying 50,000 people voted, uh, tried to vote for me, but were turned away because the ballot had already been cast in their name. And there is no evidence – uh, in the public record that that's true. And I, I, I find it shocking if there were. I mean, the, 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 the election days are transparent. Major polling places are covered up. There are lots of people, right. you know, they're, they're, poll judge, they're poll judges from Republicans and Democrats alike. And if one out of every 20 voters is being told, hey, you, you can't vote because you've already voted, and they're saying, I didn't vote early, then something would have been heard about it on that day. I agree with you. But you also know what it's like to have elections disputed in 2000. How many people say George Bush is not a legitimate president? And they until oh, yeah. won no, no, the election. No, look, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Look, I love all these people who say uh, shame on Trump for uh, uh, trying to, you know, trying to reverse the election. Well, what was Al Gore doing? Al Gore was, was held by the U.S. Supreme Court to have violated the Constitution in two places by a 7-2 vote. Remember, David Souter and, and uh, Stephen Breyer voted with the more conservative judges on the court to say what Al Gore is attempting to do by changing the rules of the game after the election is over, having a the, the state of uh, Florida only allows a statewide recount. It does not allow uh, recounts in a limited number of counties. And he was and he literally forced got the Democrat officials in three heavily Democratic counties to agree to do an illegal recount in which they would, quote, try to divine the intent of the voter. By looking at so-called, you know, undervotes and trying to devise what what the, what were those people trying to do in the presidential race? And this was held to violate the Constitution twice. Now, is Al Gore today, re, you know, reviled as a man who tried to overturn a legitimately a legitimate election? No, he's a demigod within the Democratic Party on the issue of climate. Two thousand and four 
we had all these crazy rumors and, and stories about Georgia, and we had uh, the, the House Democrats who had in 2000 objected to the outcome on, on, uh, in January of 2001 but didn't have a Senate uh, senator to join them. Well, in 2004, Barbara Boxer of California joined them, and they, they had the craziest gosh darn rumors you could ever imagine about how the election in Ohio was supposedly stolen by the Bush camp, and my name was prominently mentioned. In in fact, I was accused of murder. One of the one of the fellows who who was a brilliant young data analyst, data scientist who had a Republican firm, died in an. It, he was piloting his plane back from Washington D.C. after the election, uh, weeks after the election, and died in a in a you know airplane crash. And I was accused of having arranged to murder him because he was going to come clean and tell everybody what had what uh, about the secret Republican plot to steal the election. Then Barbara Boxer stood up on the floor of the Senate and said, I joined with these House members in objecting, and there were two hours of debate afterwards as to whether or not they should accept, Florida, uh, accept Ohio's results. And guess what? I've seen Barbara Boxer's name under consideration for an appointment by, by President-elect Biden. So please, please, all of this you know stuff from the left about how dare they try and object to the election they got I, I, I think it's ill-advised frankly I'm not in favor of it but but you did it twice and and all of, and one of the guys who objected in 2000 was a congressman from Detroit who got up and said the most extraordinarily wrong things on the floor of the US House of Representatives and you know what they did to him they made him chairman of the House Judiciary Committee John Conyers I mean this is the kind of kind of double standard that we have here now I, I, I do want to repeat I'm not in favor of doing what the Republicans are, are, are doing. I just I, th I think it's it's going to go nowhere and it's going to simply inflame tensions. And again, it doesn't get to the heart of the matter, which is the president was ill served during the campaign by not having a campaign and campaign lawyers who are paying attention to these prospective problems. And he's been ill served since the election by making these baseless charges for which they don't have the evidence to back them up that we were supposed to have thousands of dead people voting in Nevada and they found three. And, in, and, in, and, and, and the president keeps saying, well, there were 5,000 dead people who voted in Georgia, and the examination of the list shows there are two, not 2,000, but two. So, you know, it, anyway, this, it, we are where we are as a country, and I'm, it's, it's sad to be where we are. Uh, I hear you, and uh, I do worry about the protests. I understand it. It's like, let, let's just remove the X's and O's, because you can go into the districts. You know the streets. Trump looks at this and says, let me see. I had thousands of people waiting for me in Georgia, a state I allegedly lost, uh, for about 24 hours. Joe Biden got 25 cars. He walked out and he gave a 90-minute speech off the cuff in which the people were chanting again, we love you, and stop the steal, right? So he has yep. this type of momentum. He sees the other guy struggle for 15 minutes to get words out. He doesn't understand he has a microphone in his hand at the age of 78. He still doesn't know how to speak in front of an audience. And he goes, don't tell me that guy got more votes than Barack Obama. So if you take a step back and leave the districts and the counties, that's what the president does because he's more civilian than he is politician. Do you yeah, understand yeah. that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And look – his supporters love him. Remember, this was, the election was about Donald Trump, not about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It was about Donald Trump. And the people who love Donald Trump came out and voted for him in record numbers. And the people who dislike him or in many instances hate him came out in even larger numbers to vote against him. This election was during, during for, for virtually the entire campaign. 
the Biden supporter was more likely to say that their vote was a vote against Donald Trump than a vote for, for Joe Biden. And it was only at the very end of the campaign that I think it was like 51 percent of the Biden voters said their vote was for Biden. But for the vast majority of the campaign, this was all about Donald Trump. And really, at the end, it was all about Donald Trump as well. And, that, and we see that in the contrast. I mean, it, you know, here's the newly elected president-elect who comes to Atlanta. And you're right. It's 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I was shocked. It, it took him longer to get to the airport in Washington, it, it, D.C., it, it, than it took him to speak on the stage in Atlanta. Terrible. And, and, and yeah, it's – and. And this is where we are as a country. We, we, we had the, the, the sitting president was rejected, mm-hmm. but the new president has the flimsiest of public support even within his own party. And, and is you know, and their real questions is, he, is he up to the very tough job that he's going to face? We're about to find out, I think, uh, despite the protest tomorrow. Uh, Carl, I, I look forward to talking to you about the results. Um, your fingers crossed. Um, I know I think it's better for the country. I don't care what party. It's better for the country for the Republicans to prevail tomorrow. And it's probably the best thing to happen to Joe Biden, truthfully. Absolutely. Both. You're right on both points. (laughs) Thank you, Carl. You never said I was right about anything until now. Thank you, Carl Rove. Uh, Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Let's go out to Tacoma, Washington. KCCH is where I find John. Hey, John. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's on your mind about this election? So, um, I'm just wondering, what did you get out of that speech last night from Donald Trump? I mean, he was throwing out a crap load of uh, conspiracy theories which were debunked three hours before he even came on to the stage. So I'm just wondering, I mean... Well, what I got, what I got from do, John, John, I didn't get anything of substance in terms of the election. Uh, in terms of him, uh, of the, the the fake voter rolls and the signature verification, I know how he feels. I know the verification was loosened up. The uh, the the original voter rolls weren't exchanged. There were the new voter rolls. Uh, things like Jason Miller's brought up. But what I liked about what the president said was going to bat for Leffler and Purdue because this could be the beginning of a new winning streak. He wins this. He turns flips the house for uh, for Kevin McCarthy, who's already making the move. And then the last move was get himself back in the Oval Office. That's how I thought he should have been thinking, you know, when it became clear about November 15th that these that these states weren't going to go his direction. There's also some breaking news, Allison, and this is stunning. I need some clarification on this. It says uh, Senator Grassley will preside over the certification of the Electoral College. Vice President Pence not expected to attend. Wow. Well, then the spokesperson just clarified for Grassley saying um – he clarifies that uh, Grassley does not have any indication that Pence won't be present. And he said he was just trying to explain that um, as the president pro tempore of the sen- a Senate, he will fill in if, the, if Pence does not show. That's a little different yes, than, than what- this story, because if Pence bails out of this, 
He'll be on President Trump's naughty list. <laughs> That's very Never true. a good thing to do. Hey, I'll get some calls in about 15 minutes when we come back. Sonny Purdue. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hurricane Michael devastated those poor farms down in South Georgia. And you mentioned about the black vote. There's 39% plus black African Americans here in Georgia. And they're sitting here like, are we better off now than we were back in the previous administration? We have the highest, highest black voter turnout under the Trump policies, which David Perdue and Senator Loeffler they co-signed on. Their, their policies that they voted on was part of that Opportunity Zone, prison reform, as you said back in the farming industry that went down, that devastated these farms. These are positive, strong initiatives that Senator David Perdue, thank God that he was there, and Sonny Perdue were there, that literally rescued these farms. I- well, uh, Bruce Laval, he's the director of Diversity Coalition for Trump, talking yesterday on Fox about the role of David Perdue and Sonny Perdue after Hurricane Michael in communities, suburban, urban, didn't matter, but mostly rural communities. And it, and it paid the it paid off for on the election day. It's not why you do it, but it's why you get into politics. Joining us now is uh, Sonny Perdue. You know, he is the cousin of David Perdue, who really can't do much campaigning right now. Because he is uh, quarantined because he came in contact with someone who had the virus. He's the United States Secretary of Agriculture and former governor of Georgia. Um, Mr. Secretary, welcome. Good morning, Brian. Good to speak with you. Can you bring us inside the move that you and David use your expertise in, in David's, especially his business background, to help out after the hurricane? Well, obviously, uh, President Trump led the effort with David's uh, persistent insistence over letting the president know how dire the circumstances were after Hurricane Michael. I think he uh, really became a pest to the president, and the president finally understood how critical the situation was, and uh, relief was on the way. It took, uh, in a bureaucratic situation, took us much too long to get that delivered. But nonetheless, uh, I think uh, the people have recovered uh, in a way that would not have had David not been consistently uh, in the presence here about the need for relief. And he was able to get some of that vote uh, uh, on November 3rd. Well, obviously, we think conservative Georgians uh, uh, know how to vote, and uh, we think they did vote. Uh, we, uh, uh, that vote was overcome, frankly, by some people who uh, we're not sure exactly what happened, but uh, in Fulton and Cab County and Metro Atlanta and some of those counties there. But uh, I've been all around the state. Georgians are excited there enthused about this runoff election, and I think we're going to see a good victory for David and Kelly tonight. You know, it's not like he's running against Joe Manchin, a moderate uh, Democrat who sometimes sounds like a Republican. He's running against two people who really belong in the squad uh, in the House, right? This is the left. These guys are the left of the left. So much Hollywood money has come to Georgia and remade these guys in these warm, fuzzy commercials, Brian. They ought to get him an Academy Award for these ads because that's not what these people believe. John Ossoff doesn't have Georgia values, doesn't know Georgia. Raphael Warnock, by his own words, uh, embraces Marxism, Fidel Castro, and others, and uh, denigrates the military, denigrates our police, and uh, this is not where Georgians are. But yet Georgia's changed since you were governor. They say, what, 100,000 a year move there? 
uh, is one of the hottest places in the countries to go. But like what's happening in Texas, they're coming there with a lot of their blue values, their liberal values. And it's at the very least a purple state now. Would you characterize it that way? I don't want to characterize it that way. We'll watch these runoffs tonight and see. I don't know what's happened the last two races here, but I'm not willing to concede that, although you are correct. Georgia has been one of the best places in the country, named the best place to do business for the last seven years in a row. And unfortunately, these folks that have come from failing blue states have moved here, uh, unfortunately brought their politics with them. They, They left failing blue governments and want to bring that same voting history here to Georgia, and that's not where Georgia values are. That's not what made Georgia the best state in which to do business. Do you know Brad Raffensperger, the the Secretary of State for Georgia? I, I know him barely. I, I know who he is, obviously. I've been in his presence a few times, but I don't know. I wouldn't say I know him, but I do certainly. Everybody knows who he is by this time. He released the phone call. Uh, he basically admitted that to Martha yesterday of he and the president. Uh, because the president was saying he really believes he won the state the way only you know the president very well. He sounded like he does in every conversation. I won this election, and I'm, I want to prove it. Go find it. And people are misinterpreting, in my view, because I've gotten a chance to talk to him pretty consistently over the last 15 years. So I wanted to, the secretary of state actually blamed your cousin, uh, Senator David Perdue, for death threats on his wife because he told, said that the secretary of state should resign. Listen to what he said. Cut 31. Senator Perdue still owes my wife an apology for all the death threats she got after he asked for my resignation. And I've not heard one peep from that man since. And he wants to call me face-to-face, man-to-man. I'll talk to him off the record. But he hasn't done that. Is it his fault that his wife got death threats? (laughs) Brian, did you hear what he said? I'll talk to him off the record. Do you think he would record that conversation like he did with the president? That's the silly thing about it. Who would ever think that you record a conversation with the president of the United States, an elected official, one to another, who used to talk in transparently and candidly with one another, and record that conversation and release it? That is despicable. He had an 88,000 advantage, uh, did Senator Perdue, in the election, just missed getting the 50 percent. And if you get rid of the libertarian, he's got even more of an advantage. But they say Ossoff with his money, and since the senator didn't debate him, and hasn't been as active, that Ossoff may have caught him. Does that worry you? I don't think that's true, though. It would worry me if I thought it were true, but I don't believe that's the case. I think, again, Georgians see a very clear contrast with these between these Hollywood actors remade through their commercials and yet what they really stand for. And I think Georgians will show tonight or today through their vote that uh, they're going to send Kelly and David back to the Senate to maintain this divided government that they need the Senate. They don't want to give uh, Chuck Schumer, AOC, Bernie Sanders, Harris Biden, Nancy Pelosi a blank check to run this government the way they want to. Well, uh, Governor, in particular, we're looking at what's happening in that state. And we remember that it wasn't too long ago where Hollywood was boycotting Georgia. Yeah, that's right. They sure didn't boycott them during these ads. Millions and millions of dollars have come in here to try to remake these candidates because they're not genuine Georgia candidates and they're not representing genuine Georgia values. But you don't understand. They have a secret weapon. Rosie O'Donnell shared a photo of herself wearing a mask reading, Vote Warnock. Will that be effective? 
She also had something on that says, hello, Georgia friends, just dropping by to remind you, today is election day. Will that work? Does Rosie O'Donnell really resonate with Georgians? Well, it does for some Georgians, unfortunately, but it doesn't for most Georgians. Georgians don't buy into the Hollywood drama of, uh, of Hollywood and all the money that's come to support John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock here. They are capable of making their own decisions. These are the people who have mocked Georgia and Georgia values in the past, and they're not going to be persuaded by the people who will come try to uh, encourage them to vote for Ossoff and Warnock today. As Secretary of Agriculture, have you enjoyed working with the president? I've enjoyed working with the president. Certainly, I, I, uh, on this call, I'm a concerned citizen and former governor. But, uh, yeah, it's been a real joy and a real thrill. He's enabled me to, uh, to really work for the farmers of America. Uh, he has, and I also know he kind of leans on you. He, he almost looks at you as a as a peer, and it's very hard to do that in that administration. Uh, and you've lasted the duration. But last question about your job. Has China fulfilled the first phase of their obligation with the trade deal? Because it would di- di- uh, directly affect farmers. Absolutely. I think President Trump has reset this trade relationship with China. And uh, I believe they, they knew he was serious. Obviously, it would take four more years to sustain that. But I hope that the Biden administration understands that uh, China had been eating our lunch in that regard and will continue these policies of, of American American farmers. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, Secretary, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, as a former governor of Georgia, as a cousin to Senator Purdue, there's few better people to talk to uh, about what goes on. And your last uh, question is really a statement, just your feeling. So many are bitter by the, the election results with the presidency. They might sit out and not vote today. What is your message to them? Well, hopefully, they, if, they, if they sit out, they lose. You don't win by pouting and going taking your ball and going home. Go to the polls and vote your convictions. That's the only way to overwhelm the irregularities that we think took place in November. If you're mad, go vote. That's how you, uh, that's how you uh, uh, take care of that. All right, uh, Mr. Secretary uh, Purdue, thanks so much. Sonny Purdue, we appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to go on Varney and Company and then squeeze in some calls at the end. So stay right there. one 408 We're going to be talking about a couple of things you can resonate with. The president's chances of success tomorrow as uh, a dozen senators are going to stand up in protest led by Ted Cruz. And right now in the basement of the Capitol building, over 100 House members are trying to come up with a cohesive strategy to also stand up and be heard because they are not happy with six separate states at least the Electoral College totals, and how they violated, in the case of Pennsylvania and others, their own constitution with this mail-in voting. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I see your calls up there, one 408 7669 I'll get to them shortly. Also, we're going to be discussing what's going on with the vaccine. I haven't really discussed that much because we're so cut up in the Georgia runoff, but I'm fascinated by the fact there's 300,000 vaccines given out. We're starting to pick up the pace they think up to 500 to 750 a day. But when it comes down to people getting the injections in New York, we're so into the criteria available and they're blaming everything but giving the shot. So they're saying, OK, I want it to be nursing homes. Fine. I want it to be first responders. OK. I want it to be nursing home people. Fine. Let's hold on. Here's where we go with Stuart Varney. The man right there, Brian Kilmeade, is just finishing up his radio show. Now he's going to pay attention to us. Uh, Brian... You're in the New York Times today, you know, I'm sure you know that, for criticizing the president and some of his supporters. You are challenging Trump's lawyers. You're saying, show the evidence, produce the evidence, and you're saying the ball is in Rudy Giuliani's court. Go ahead, make your case. A couple of things. If, if I'm to look at this race, I see how, how, how Joe, Joe Biden, in 15 minutes, says nothing, screams on the stump in front of 25 cars and gets 81 million votes. I'm the president of the United States for 90 minutes, has a conversation with 20,000 people. We're in broadcasting. We know how hard that is. He makes it look easy. He gets these huge crowds to line up for 24 hours. On the surface, I know the president sits back and says, how can I lose to this guy? Right. What did he accomplish? Almost nothing from 47 years. Correct. What did he do? Raise money. Almost no appearances. Most of them were disastrous. What interviews did he give? None. Maybe two. Friendly. They made no sense. They were afraid of leaving alone in any type of hostile interview. I know that. And the president's basically a non-politician, so he's not going to get into the nitty-gritty of counties and precincts. But when you look at what's happened since November 3rd, and 74 million, which is an astounding number that he got, 81 million that he got. And you look at the difference in the states and on the recounts and everything, they're not going his way. When he goes in front of the judges, many Trump judges, they're not hearing it or they look at it and say there's nothing there. I say either there's a lot there and he's got the worst legal team or there is not a lot there. There is some affidavits and anecdotal, but not enough to make up for 11,000, 53,000, 100,000. So the battleground states and six that are going to be contended with, it seems like spitting in the wind. And I think uh, Carl Rove just told us on this show, we're simulcasting, he just said, I think the president's being ill-served by a legal team that are telling him things they said they found, but when it comes to showing what they found, they come up short, leaving the president without the backing besides the statement. And that's what came out in that phone call. That's why I don't believe if the substance not there, as frustrating as it is, as hard as it was for Nixon, as hard as it was for Gore, uh, I think that you suck it up, you win the Georgia runoffs, then you get the House to Kevin McCarthy, and then you go back and be Grover Cleveland revisited in four years. Okay, we hear you. That's clean cut. Brian, I want to change the subject entirely because um, I'm on my soapbox about this one. Tulsi Gabbard. I know, I've seen on, this. Yeah, yeah, I know you've <laughs> seen it, right. Tucker Carlson, she was on with him last night, slammed Democrats for their decision to make gender-neutral pronouns mandatory. You've got to listen to this again, Brian. Roll it. It's mind-blowing because it shows just how out of touch with reality and, and the struggles of everyday Americans 
uh, people in Congress are, but also it, it shows that, you know, their first act as, as this new Congress could have been to make sure that elderly Americans are able to get the COVID vaccine. But instead of doing something that could actually help save people's lives, they're choosing instead to say, well, you can't say mother or father in any of this congressional language. It, it's, it's astounding. It, it is astounding, Brian. You can't say mother and father, son or daughter, brother or sister. You can't say that. My question is, where did that come from? Who said to Speaker Pelosi, oh, we've got to get rid of mother and father and brother and sister? Who said that? Stuart, that's a great point. Instead of saying I disagree, where did this come from? I guarantee you, if we went up to Nancy Pelosi 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and we said this, she'd say, yeah, I'm not even interested in that. The same way we went up to Senator Schumer 10, 12 years ago and say, what's going on with the border? He's like, yeah, we got to build a wall. Who got in their heads and said America is different now? Now we want to be pronoun sensitive. Now we want to make sure that nobody is insulted when we say grandmother, mom, or we have to say parent now. It makes absolutely no sense, although the amen thing is just flat out embarrassing. A yeah. couple of things. If the country was made up of people, of Democrats like Harold Ford, Tulsi Gabbard, and Joe Manchin— I believe we would actually get things done and we'd actually be able to do deals. But when Nancy Pelosi stands up in the middle of a pandemic at 80 years old, so desperate to hold on to power, she probably sold her soul to her left wing constituency and decides that this is a good move. And yet people back it. I just wonder, I just hope at that age, at that point in my life, I am not so desperate for relevance that I will do everything normal uh, okay. uh, exempt myself from anything normal to do stuff like this. I think you made your point and then some. Uh, Brian, thanks as always. Great stuff today. Appreciate All right. it. See Thank you. you. Go get him, yes, Stuart. Sir. See you in the hall. Coming up. one 866 William, listen on WTRC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, William. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Happy New Year to you. Um, I had told uh, your screener that, you know, I, had been, I listen to you all the time. I see you on Fox every morning. Um, and for about a month, I haven't listened to any news. And part of it was the fact that, you know, we hear from Fox and from yourself, and which I do have to say that you're probably the most fair and balanced, just like you called out Rudy Giuliani today. Um, but the fact is, is that we hear all this stuff and nothing ever changes. And, and I know it's not Fox's responsibility to get this stuff changed. I know it's the, the uh, American people. But at a certain point, I'm like, why do we listen to it or why am I listening to it anymore? Because it's not changing. So one of the main questions I do have for you, though, is so Stacey Abrams um, has the ability to go out and get all these votes. And she's been touting how she's able to go to all these minority areas and get the votes yep. and get them out there. So what is your feelings? Do you really believe that it, first and foremost, regardless of the outcome, is it going to be fair and legitimate? I do. I do think it's going to be it's going to be fair and legitimate. There's a lot of attention. Georgia will straighten out like Florida and Ohio straightened out. We have newfound attention on this. When you give someone $200 million like you give in the RNC, they better come up with anecdotes for this. We can't do it in South Bend or New York City. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, brought to you, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're waiting on this uh, big election and the answer to the question will the Republicans or will the Democrats hold the Senate? And by the way, just keep in mind as we look at this whole thing, the President of the United States was an underdog in this election as an incumbent. He just was. Think about the Mueller report, think about the pandemic. Think about the impeachment and then think about the uh, all the controversies and all the headwinds he was getting. And then you think uh, over and over again. Uh, you also uh, think with the president of the United States, what happened? They didn't lose one single seat in the House. The Senate was supposed to be a layup for Democrats. Instead, they have a 50-48 advantage. All they need is one more seat. So to me, it's a, it's a little stunning to think uh, what's going on right now. Uh, how the president's now on the precipice, on the precipice of holding on the Senate. And there's no doubt about it. There was a story in the Washington Post today that said the president feels as though he will not get credit if they win, only get discredited if they lose. And I don't think that's true. I think he's going to get all the credit in the world. This could be the beginning of a new winning streak for him because right now he is beside himself with the fact that it looks as though he's lost this election. So before we get to Haley Barber, who's been on the ground as one of the co-chairs of the Georgia, uh, Georgia Battleground Fund, and Steve Mosher at the bottom of the hour, who has looked into the Wuhan virus, where it started, how it started, more lab than wet market. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is a management issue of the hospitals. They have to move the vaccine, and they have to move the vaccine faster. Yes, that is Governor Andrew Cuomo blaming the hospitals for the problematic vaccine rollout. We've got your vaccine. Can we please use it? That's the message from the president to the governors. What is it going to take to put the shots into the arms of Americans and save lives? Enough finger pointing. Let's do some fixing. And as usual, Governor Cuomo is blasting everybody, but taking responsibility from everyone but himself. Number two. And I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. (laughs) Not easy being Mike Pence ever. President uh, Trump's final push to be president for four more years. The election, Hail Mary, about to be tossed out Wednesday. And the trouble, the famed Saturday phone call, not not helpful in bringing to the party and the president. Uh, They need some momentum, but I don't see it coming from this push. Number one. I want you to know, Georgia, I'm ready. I'm ready to be your next United States senator. The eyes of the nation are on Georgia right now. If we have a strong Republican turnout, we will win again. Are you ready to show America that Georgia's a red state? Yeah, uh, the Georgia runoff and standoff. Biden and Trump contrasting messages, crowds, and goals. The future of the country hangs in the balance. They both agree on that. We'll lay out the state of the race and the stakes. And that's what got got Governor Haley Barber off, not retirement, but back in the political foray. Uh, Governor Barber, what's it been like fighting it out since November 3rd through today? Well, it's been a, a a very interesting thing, Brian, because there's so many cross currents. The cross current about whether the election was conducted properly in Georgia and the results are accurate. The the 
fact that you're going to have that you're having two U.S. Senate races on the same day in one state, you know, highly, highly unusual. The fact that David Perdue in in November got 49.8% of the vote and the guy that finished second finished about three points behind him, about 90,000 votes behind him, and yet Purdue has to has to run again because the law in Georgia is to be elected to statewide office. You have to get a simple majority, 50% plus one. Uh, to see the Democratic candidate Ossoff, who has finally confessed that he was on the payroll of a, a Chinese party, a Chinese company, 20% of the stock of which was owned by the Chinese government, that he did not report that uh, as a far, far foreign agent. He did not report that as a candidate. And and his, his, his running mate, if you will, uh, Reverend Warnock, uh, who has said things that make you think that the police must be the worst people in the world. And uh, he's, I kind of want to say on the radio what he said about not God bless America, but God damn America. I mean, Jeremiah Wright, his mentor. That's right, his mentor. That's exactly right. This is this is uh, hugely unusual, but it also, Brian, it's the highest state selection I've ever been involved in, and I've been doing this professionally for 52 years. Wow. Because you have, the Democrats have made such a gigantic lurch to the left that if you shift from Republican government under Donald Trump, who has been pro-growth, uh, has been free enterprise, has been rational regulation, has cut taxes so people have had... So we were in the middle of the pandemic. We were in the middle of the biggest economic boom in decades. And now we're, we're in a knockdown, drag-out fight where the other side wants to have socialism. And, it's not, and, you know, they don't even make any bones about it. Chuck Schumer, the Democrat leader of the Senate, said, first we get Georgia and then we get America. Yeah, here's the president's right. Here's the president's message last night. I know you said this is key for the president to understand that as much as he's upset about the election, it's got to be about these two. And here he is. Cut four. Together, we're going to defeat the Democrat extremists and deliver a thundering victory to David Perdue. And where's David? David, David. He, we love our David. I know David so well. He's respected and loved by everyone. And someone that has really been a star in Washington, Kelly Leffler. Where is our Kelly? What a job you've done. Thank you. And he really praised them. He started with that. He went in the middle and he closed with that. Did he help you yesterday? Absolutely. They're has been the press, frankly, has been promoting the idea that a lot of Georgia Republicans are so mad and feel like that the process wasn't done right in the presidential election that they weren't going to vote. I mean, President Trump just told them flat out, not voting is like slitting your wrists. Not voting gives the other side absolute control of the country. And I mean absolute control, House, Senate, White House, uh, they'll get rid of the filibuster rule. They'll the, the left. Their their agenda is not secret. 
it is far, far left, and they'll use any tactics, any tactics, in order to do that. And Donald Trump's legacy would be just erased if we don't keep the Senate. And we have to win one of these two seats. We got two great candidates, as the president said. One of them, in any other state in the country, would have already been elected. David Perdue got 49.8 percent of the vote. Beat his Democrat right. opponent by 100,000 votes nearly. Uh, but in Georgia, you have to get a, a simple majority, 50 percent plus one. And a libertarian got about 130,000 votes. And so, so 115,000 votes. So let's break it down. You know, they say the Democrats had all this money and momentum now because the, the Republicans did so much infighting. And you admit there's a lot of infighting. The Secretary of State and the President are suing each other. President said he was a schmuck for endorsing the Republican Governor Brian Kemp. He's going to come back and campaign against them. So we don't know how that's going to play out. Steve Kornacki on MSNBC broke down the race this way. Then I want Governor Barber to weigh in. Cut 21. The movement that I'm talking about that put Joe Biden over the top in Georgia was not quite there for the Democrats in the Senate races. There were split ticket voters in Georgia on Election Day. So I think a profile starts to emerge of the split ticket voter on Election Day who was anti-Trump, who wanted to go out and vote Trump out of office, but also did not want to vote for Democrats. And so voted for Biden and then voted Republican. It's not a huge number. But it's the difference between Biden winning by 12,000 and Purdue having 88,000 more votes than Ossoff, at least in the preliminary. So that's almost as a way in which you look at it numbers, not even partisanship. That's really what happened, isn't it? It is largely what happened. Um, and, and, and some of that plays into today. You're going to have some particular suburban women voters who did not like Trump, voted for Biden who are going to today vote for Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. And there are going to be a significant number of votes. But you, you, you're going to see a huge turnout among the left voters, among the Democrat voters. Uh, they've already had more than 3 million people vote in today's election before the polls ever opened today. Uh and among those three million, the Democrats will be ahead because they've been pushing early voting, pushing absentee ballots. The Republicans tend more to turn out on election day. And so that's what this is going to be. Who turns out in the right percentages on election day? And the Republicans, I have to say, as a former party chairman, this is something I care about. We've got more than 8,000 volunteers on the ground in Georgia. Right. We're going to have, we have today at the polls, 4,000 Republican poll watchers and 1,000 Republican lawyers doing ballot security. And this is an election where those volunteers and others who were here earlier have knocked on 3.6 million doors of Republican households with 5.5 million targeted voters. Uh, they knocked on 400,000 doors yesterday, Brian. Uh, there's energy and, and because the stakes are so high. Absolutely. But but why is it, Governor, in your estimation, uh, why is it that I have not seen a Republican? I've not seen either Republican candidate on top in any of the polls. You know, polls from back in you work in the polls for the President Reagan. Uh, Brian, if you look at the polls. 
Uh, Purdue, who won by three points against Ossoff, is behind in the polls by two-tenths. Two-tenths. None of the polling in, since November has been outside the margin of error. In every single poll, no candidate has exceeded, had a lead that exceeds the margin of error. I mean, this is an incredibly close election, and it's all about turnout. I know. And we'll see if we do it today. Absolutely. i got to ask I you something. we will. You're a natural leader. People, you have this likable quality about you. People have always leaned on you, whether you're running your state or running the RNC. I want to talk about leadership during times of crisis. You do it during a hurricane and, and tornadoes. What about during a pandemic? Governor Cuomo's getting accolades by the way he's doing it here, and I don't get it. He's taking liquor licenses away from bars and restaurants. He's now finding nursing homes who don't give the vaccine quick enough, and he's also doing the same thing with hospitals. Listen to this because he can't get the vaccine out. Cut 36. Any provider who does not use the vaccine could be fined up to $100,000. Going forward, they have to use the allocation within seven days. Otherwise, they can be uh, they can be removed from future distribution. As you saw, we have almost 200 hospitals. If one hospital isn't performing, we can use other hospitals. Is threatening hospitals something Governor Haley Barber would do? No, and and of course, here's a guy that made hospitals take that made nursing homes take COVID patients when it turns out, and he finally admitted it, I think, or if he didn't admit it, he, he, he's changed. This led to a lot of people dying that might not have died because that was the worst thing you could do for those people. The worst thing. So you want to know about leadership? Real leadership is when things go right, you spread the credit around to all the people who work to make it go right. When things go wrong, the leader takes the blame. The leader doesn't try to blame it on everybody else. If you want to be trusted as a leader, be somebody that tells the truth, have a good team, have confidence in your team, make decisions. And when you make a bad decision, admit you make a bad decision. In this life where you have to deal with a pandemic or a hurricane, Katrina, you're going to make some bad decisions. When you do, admit it. I hear you. You take the blame and go, and then go on. I know. And you have this governor here who uh, blamed the mayors for the riots, blamed others for school closings. He now blames others for the fact that three, only 300,000 vaccines have been sent out when they gave him a million uh, Governor, thanks so much. Governor Haley Barber doing yeoman's work in Georgia to turn this out for Republicans. Governor, thanks so much. Brian, thank you. And look, I see one favor. Every 10 minutes, just say to your viewers, vote today. You don't even have to say what state or what race. <laughs> you got it. All right. Thank you. Governor Haley Barber telling me how to do uh, my radio show, but he's always in charge. Uh, back in a moment. Listen and pick up on some things you didn't know before. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. That's just arrogance. Listen, uh, does he think that our healthcare professionals are uninterested in vaccinating people? 
Uh, how about trusting the people who have been our heroes? This is why I'd say to the governor, and I respect the governor, spoken to him a lot of times the last few weeks. This is why I'd say to him, respect and trust our healthcare professionals. <laughs> why does he get a pass? For this governor get a pass? The fact that he's warring with its terrible mayor. He, they're, they're in the same party. They tear each other apart. Most of uh, the New York residents are in the line of fire, and he gets a total pass from the media outside the New York Post. The, what he's saying is, Mayor, you're responsible for these hospitals and the vaccines. The governor's taking no responsibility. He's telling other people in your district your responsibility. He takes no responsibility for setting up a system on vaccines. But the governor also said, when I get that vaccine from Pfizer, I'm not just going to accept it because it's coming from Donald Trump's administration. I'm going to do my own analysis. Meanwhile, he accepted it right away, but it caused a delay and he hasn't planned for it. And now he wants to find hospitals, $100,000 that they don't use every vaccine right away in a pace in which he's responsible. If you go down there, you put on your scrubs and you walk around and meet with those hospital people and you tell them what's going on with the vaccine, you see it and understand it, and you still want to find them, that's fine. But to sit there with your PowerPoint and Al Pacino's, uh, you know, and Al Pacino's Zoom calls, and then you want to be a judgmental on vaccine distribution while saying it's not my fault. I don't know how he gets a pass on this. While saying I'm going to go to the Buffalo Bills game and let 6,000 fans come in because he wants to see a playoff football game. Rich Liss on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Rich. Hey, how are you? What's in your mind? Have me on. So you nailed it there, honestly. Um, and also, I, I just was talking to your screener. I said, you know, after this election and this last term, um, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm – Fortunate, I think, as an American, that uh, Donald Trump had conservative views that worked out for us, you know, in our favor. Um, and I do feel like people did dislike Trump enough as a person yep. to vote him out of office and still try and stick with the conservative values in the House and the Senate. Um, so, so how that has kind of left me and a lot of my friends and coworkers, you know, feeling politically homeless. And- That's so interesting, Rich. Uh, I want you to call back uh, tomorrow. Because I'd love to expand on that. You shouldn't feel politically homeless. Republicans have a lot of power in the House, and they have a chance at holding the Senate. And hang in there. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. More and more you hear uh, about this virus, and of course we got to attend to it. We got to get vaccines for it. We got to get the arms, got the vaccines into people's arms. I get it. But I can never shake the thought of where this came from. It is not our fault. We couldn't identify it early. It would have been infinitely better if we at least said, hey, if, if the, uh, the town of Wuhan, the province of Wuhan said, come on in, this is getting out of control. We need your help. It would be a lot easier to digest if we're rolling this together. But I believe that China has never been candid. I know it. I believe the WHO has been uh, submissive to China. I'm sure of it. The investigation can never be sincere and comprehensive because they're not open to it. They arrested and killed people that protested or wanted to speak out when it happened. And we still don't have the answer to where this started. Or do we? More and more investigators are pointing to not a wet market in Wuhan, but the lab in Wuhan. 
A person that was there to begin with from day one was Steve Mosher. Uh, Steve joins us now. He's been on, I think it was, Steve, you were on pretty early uh, with Tucker Carlson saying, I don't believe this came from a bat sold at a, a market. You are, uh, wrote an article why China's economy won't surpass the U.S., and we appreciate that. But first, on where this virus came from, where do you think it went? How did it, how did it get here? Well, Brian, I've been involved in China stuff since 1979. I was the first American allowed to go to China and do research. I speak, read, and write three dialects of Chinese. Uh, when, the, when the story first broke about this China virus coming from a wet market, I looked at a map. And guess what? Uh, China's only P4 lab, that's a high-security lab, is located just a few miles from the wet market. That's the lab where they were doing so-called gain-of-function research. What's that? They were taking uh, coronaviruses and making them more lethal, making them more infectious. Why? Because it was part of a bioweapons program. Yes, China has a bioweapons program. And I thought to myself, this thing came from the lab. We then looked at it when we finally got copies of it, looked at it and said, this doesn't look like anything we find in nature. It doesn't come from a bat doesn't come from a little scaly anteater called the pangolin. Uh, it was fabricated in the lab. It's cobbled together. It's got very unique gene segments. Uh, I, I, at Stanford, I used to work with one of the world's uh, top uh, uh, geneticists. So I took a look at this and said, this thing did not come from nature. It came from the lab. So we were out with this story early, and boy, did we get hammered by everybody, Brian, because nobody wanted to hear this. The Chinese Communist Party didn't want to hear it because, obviously, it was part of their bioweapons program. They wanted to cover it up, and they did. The World Health Organization, uh, they wouldn't listen because guess what? Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus is China's guy. Uh, he was promoted to be the head of the World Health Organization with the support of the Chinese Communist Party. He comes from Ethiopia. He is an Ethiopian communist and, you know, great communists think alike. So he was in China's pocket from the get-go. So it became not the World Health Organization. It became the China Health Organization or the China Protection Racket, whatever you want to call it. And then we had virologists in the United States who said, no, no, it couldn't have come from the lab. Why did they say that, Brian? Because we sent 3.7 million U.S. tax dollars to that lab to do this gain-of-function research, uh, thinking that it was innocent, innocent scientific research that would advance the frontiers of knowledge and all that nonsense. And uh, the people who were funding it did not want it to come out that it might come from the lab because they would be implicated. It was incestuous. Uh, can you spell the, the you know, cover-up? I mean, that's what's going on. So China, the World Health Organization, and people in the U.S., uh, uh, all the way up to Dr. Fauci, were involved in funding this lab, and nobody wanted the truth to come out. Steve, when a doctor tried to speak out, what happened to him? Oh, well, anybody who, who spoke out against the, uh, the laboratory origins of the virus, anybody who tried to reveal the actual genetic code of the virus, anybody who tried to tell the world what was coming, uh, they were locked up. They were put away. Uh, some of them have been tortured. Uh, some are still disappeared in China. Fortunately, we have uh, on these shores a very brave uh, virologist who managed to escape from Hong, from Hong Kong, now part of China, uh, called Dr. Yan Li Meng, who has told us a lot about the virus that we didn't know. And I understand that we now have a second whistleblower, Brian, who came from the Wuhan lab itself, who is uh, spilling the beans 
uh, to American authorities now. That hasn't been made public yet. But I think we have confirmation after confirmation uh, that this thing came from the lab. It was released from the lab. It was spread around the world. And I'll tell you what, uh, if, if we can just see clearly on this, China has to pay a heavy price for this. Um, they, they should be paying reparations. We hear a lot about reparations for this and that. They should be paying reparations to the world for everybody who's died from the virus, everybody who's gotten sick from the virus, every business that has been closed because of the virus, the trillions of dollars in, in lost economic growth because of the virus. This was their doing. And, and we should hold them responsible. Steve Mosher, our guest, he's the author of Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream and the new, as the New Threat to World Order. No kidding. He also wrote this article that caught my attention, should have yours, Why China's Economy Won't Surpass the U.S. by 2028, 2028, as experts predict. And I'll get into that in a second. How would it have been? I know you, uh, you're not an epidemiologist, but how would it have benefited us if we could have known exactly the origins of this virus in December and January? Oh, well, if you know, if you know how a virus behaves, you can defend yourself against it, right? Uh, China covered up the origins. It covered up that it, it actually ordered, Brian, it doesn't get any worse than this. Uh, certain private labs in China got a hold of the virus and did a genetic analysis. Those labs were ordered on January 4th of last year, a year ago, to destroy those samples and not reveal to the world exactly what the genetic structure of the virus is. They tried to keep us, the Chinese Communist Party, tried to keep us in the dark as long as possible. And, of course, the longer we were in the dark, the higher uh, the death toll rose. So, again, uh, the cover-up from the beginning, the middle, the end, they're still covering it up. Steve, do you believe— They're still claiming— yeah. Do you believe that Beijing was somewhat left in the dark because of the repercussions? They people they were low bowling in Wuhan, how bad it was, and they actually tried to shield Beijing from it, or something else. You know, uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party is an interesting group of, uh, of of thugs, all of whom are trying to protect their own turf. There's a lot of lying that goes on. Uh, no lower official ever tells the truth to a higher official uh, if, if they can help it because it might get them in trouble. So there was probably a lot of lying and deception going on within the system. But uh, I think the top leaders knew uh, that they had a bioweapons program in place there. The top leaders knew from the get-go what had happened. They sent their top uh, general, uh, their top bioweapons expert, General Chen Wei, down to Wuhan as soon as the news broke out. And, and, and she was down there uh, at, the, at the end of December. Uh, they closed down uh, on January 1st and January 2nd. They closed down all the military institu- institutions in the city and, uh, of Wuhan and the surrounding countryside. So they closed down the military bases, the military academies, and so forth. But they didn't tell the people of Wuhan that there was a problem until three weeks later. So they even deceived the Chinese people. Nothing new about that. That's that's what the Chinese Communist Party does. Human life is cheap in their eyes. And, of course, this is the Chinese Communist Party's the biggest killing machine in human history. They've eliminated 90 million of their own companies. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, since the founding in 1949. So they have no concern for human life. So, But they, they, they sent the security forces down there. They protected the military down there. They sent their top bioweapons expert down there while keeping the people in the dark. And, of course, they kept the world in the dark for as long as they could. So, Steve, a couple of things. Do you believe for a second that they've only had a few thousand deaths and they got this thing under control? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we were we were watching the crematoria, Brian, in March and April. 
and the, the, there, there are seven crematory in the city of Wuhan. Uh, the, the, the ovens were going day and night to dispose of the corpses. Uh, I estimated, we estimated, the Radio Free Asia estimated uh, that there were 40, 45,000 deaths in Wuhan uh, during the first few months of the pandemic last year. So, yeah, the death toll in China was much higher than right. they reported. So, no Steve, about that. Steve Mosher, our guest, he's president of Population Research Institute and author of Bully of Asia. His article, Why China's Economy Won't Surpass the U.S. by 2028. Steve, they poisoned the world. They literally poisoned the yeah. world. And we and we in society don't want to jail people because they have the virus. And we're paying the price for that because we shouldn't. We're trying to figure out a way to keep our economy going while we get a vaccine for this to our great uh, to, to the praise of our great scientists, we've come up with a vaccine, a few of them. So, Steve, why would Europe, who is flat on its back right now, the U.K. in the middle of a second major lockdown with a new strain, cut a trade deal with this horrible regime? Yeah, uh, I, you know, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of Chinese money floating around. Uh, there are a lot of Chinese honeypots going here and there compromising politicians. Just ask Eric. Um, so the, you know there, there there are a lot of a lot of people who've been paid off, bought off, suborned, um, compromised in various ways. So that's a large part of it. Um, yeah, uh, they're not thinking the, the the leaders in Europe are not thinking about the the putting putting uh, the UK first or putting France first or putting even the European Union first. Uh, I, I'm afraid they're thinking about their own pocketbooks first and foremost. So Steve- uh, the Chinese Communist Party is so corrupting. Uh, it corrupts everything it touches, uh, and and it's spreading, you know, its corruption throughout the world. And Steve, that's this the is only, that's the only explanation. And this is what gives me hope. You point out what we've been noticing that that they are stomping down on any free enterprise, any entrepreneurship. The Alibaba, a company that most people yeah. were very respectful of, it turns out Jack Ma's gone missing. They take a successful company, they remove the, the, the board of directors, and they put in their own government people because they want total control. They took out that, 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 that engine of Hong Kong that was printing money, and they just steamrolled yeah. the whole thing, and they're arresting all their, uh, their bankers and success stories. There's no way an economy like that will ever thrive. That's why socialism and communism uh, destroys people and will never exist without stealing things like – Technology, or or keeping people uh, of extorting countries. Yeah, uh, they, they 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 can't innovate in China. First of all, because uh, they don't protect um, intellectual property rights. Uh, they don't abide by the rule of law. Everything is about power, seizing power, holding power, controlling people. So Jack Ma, uh, the most successful entrepreneur in China, as you mentioned, has gone missing. Uh, the guy's worth, you know, sixty-one billion dollars. But what happened to him was he flaunted the regulations. Uh, he complained about the the over bureaucratization of the economy and the Communist Party's control. And you can't do that. You see, Xi Jinping, dictator for life, Xi Jinping doesn't mind how much money you make, but you should never ever criticize the Chinese Communist Party. That's what right. Jack Ma did. That's why he's gone missing. And, you know, they, they, they might hold him for a long period of time. Uh, we might not see him for a year. And when we finally see him, he'll be a broken man. He'll go on national TV and he'll apologize abjectly uh, for his criticism of the Chinese Communist Party and state to all concerned how wrong he was in doing that. And he'll be an object lesson for the rest of the remaining entrepreneurs in China, because China has a saying, you kill 
the chicken to warn the monkey. And right now, Jack Ma is the chicken, and he's about to be killed to warn everybody else, all the other entrepreneurial right. uh, monkeys in China, uh, that they better not go where Jack Ma has gone. All right, so you believe that one of the reasons they're not going to pass us because they're lying about their numbers. They're not growing at 6.5%. They don't have this type of growth and success they're telling the world they have. They're lying. Yeah, they're walking on the edge of a financial cliff, Brian, because they've got about $3 trillion in, in, uh, in hard currency now. But but they're burning through that at the rate of 100 billion every couple of months. So that won't last, that rate that won't last very long. They'll have a uh, a current accounts uh, challenge here shortly. Uh, their main export market, uh, the market they make their most money off of, is us, the United States. If you take the U.S. market out of the equation, China runs at a loss. It can't. It has to bring in coal to fire the furnaces. It has to bring in oil from the Middle East. It has to bring in raw materials like iron ore from Australia. Uh, China has a lot of people, but it's pretty short on resources. So if we can just set them back on their heels in trade terms and try to make them play by the rules, move towards decoupling our economy, find other sources for the goods that fill our big box stores, things made in Vietnam and the Philippines, and even in the United States rather than China, uh, the Chinese economy uh, will be on life support very quickly. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, none of the numbers in China make sense. Uh, if the central government says in 2021, we're going to grow at 6.5%, every province, Brian, will report that the, they're growing at 6.6% or 6.7%. No province will ever report that they're growing at less than 6.5% because that's what the leaders on high have dictated. And, gotcha. and that's what they have to report. It's all a fraud. Right. It's all a fabrication. Stephen Mosher, uh, it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, pick up his book, Bully of Asia, and uh, read his article, Why uh, China's Economy Won't Surpass the U.S. by 2028. Steve, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Brian, and thank you for all you write about America. It's great stuff. Absolutely. We're, we're pro-America, both of us. And you, we have just, just different areas, uh, and I'll continue to tap into you because China's going to be our number one enemy uh, economically and militarily. Thank you, Steve. Uh, when we come back, your phone calls one 408 Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. My full question is, what went wrong with the rollout of the vaccine when we've seen phone lines jammed, websites crashing? So you're crashing, repeating your question. To complete it for you, Governor, we've seen websites crash and also senior citizens waiting overnight for the vaccine. Where was that at? We've seen it in Duval, Broward, Orange, and Lee County. And why was, like, in Lee, why did that happen? Did you investigate that's, why? That's my question to you, Governor. You're the governor of the state. I'm not the governor of the state. Okay, but you didn't investigate why that happened like in Lee County. Why, why was there a big line? Did you did you investigate why? Could you tell us because why? Because we, we distributed vaccine to hospitals, and, and the hospital said, first come, first serve. If you show up, we'll do it. So they didn't use a registration system. There wasn't anything that was done, and there's a lot of demand for it. So people are going to want to so go ahead and get it. So are you saying there was no plan it. then from the state to make sure that senior citizens didn't wait outside overnight? So the state is not dictating to hospitals how we're not dictating to Carlos Magoya how he runs his operations here. That would be a total disaster. These guys are much more competent to be able to deliver health care services than a state government could ever be. So do you understand that reporter, I think it was the CNN reporter, CNN reporter, they actually thought that made the reporter look good. It made her look terrible. 
uh, sitting there trying to uh, tell a governor that he's supposed to be giving the vaccine and telling a hospital how to do things. Same thing with the president. The president says, listen, I'm going to get the states their PPE. I'm going to get the states their vaccine, but I'm not going to tell them where to go. I don't even know where the hospitals are. Really, you want the federal government, Donald Trump, driving up uh, to a hospital? So I just thought the the Florida governor, I think, guts it down. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be hustle mistakes. Terry, listen to WSKY in Lake City, Florida. Hey, Terry. Oh, it's so good to hear the greatest governor in this country. But uh, I continuously hear you and others say there is no evidence. What do you consider evidence? Are you calling the thousands of those who signed affidavits liars? Your last guest made allegations about China and the virus, but where's that evidence? It's okay to impeach a president on whistleblowers, but we had thousands of whistleblowers. Where's the investigation? The investigation, Steve Bosch has got all of them. He's got the scientists who are in the lab. If you could tell me the even 200 people that say that they were voted illegally, I'd like to see it. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.